Welcome to the SDA Housing Podcast, brought to you by NDIS Property Australia. Before starting this episode, we need to provide a general disclaimer. Information contained in this podcast is general in nature only. It does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular person. You need to consider your financial situation and needs before making any decisions based on the information in this podcast. And you should consider seeking independent and professional advice for your personal circumstances. All right, let's begin. Hello, my name is Min and I'm your co-host today with Matthew from the office at Endos Property Australia. And you're listening to the SDA Housing Podcast, a show that explains, highlights, guides and brings awareness about all things SDA in this ever-changing NDIS world. Matt, welcome. Happy to be here. What's today about, Matt? Uh, so today is about uh, just a general wrap-up of a number of questions that we've received um, about all different topics. Uh related to SDA, obviously, um, and we thought we'd just um, kind of turn them into a podcast just because they were great questions and, um, yeah, just just to address them so that everyone else can also benefit from the answers. Great. So who's this? Well, why ask for name, but what was the background story for this client, Matt? Uh, this client, he just had a number of questions uh, related to uh, SDA incomes, um, how blocks are – registered, when can construction start, um, and then also tenancy. Okay, cool. Well, let's get right into it then. What's the first question? Uh, so first question is, how is the rental income paid? In full weekly, fortnightly, or monthly payments? As in government, yeah, government subsidy. So there are there are two parts of this. You have the SA income payable from the federal government by way of payment from the NDIS. Uh, that is paid monthly, or used to be quarterly, by the way. Quarterly in arrears. It's now monthly. Oh, that's this huge. About a, a year ago, Matt, if you didn't know that. And secondly, there is the RRC, the Reasonable Rent Contribution, which is composed of the um, government rental assistance and then also a quarter of the participants' um, pension, uh, 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 government pension. That works out to be just around under $10,000 per year per participant, okay? So there are two payments there. And it's also monthly as well. And the smaller co- component is the RRC, is that yeah, correct? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, excellent. Um, and uh, next question uh, that we've received quite a bit, and I feel like we've answered this probably before, but is there a guarantee that the property will be tenanted upon completion and throughout the 20-year period? No. Getting the tenancy, getting the um, participants ready for the house should take uh, six to 12 months prior to completion. So we we urge all investors to talk to their local SDA provider to start procuring participants for their house at completion. So there is no guarantee of anything at all other than the guarantee of the government paying the, the incomes only once there are participants in the house itself. Excellent. Awesome. Um, so next question uh, our builds uh, from our stock list, are they fixed price building contracts? They are fixed prices. Now, in the news the last year or so, there's been a lot of issues about fixed price contracts versus non-fixed price contracts. I'll, I'll give you a, I'll, I'll give you, Matt, I'll give you an answer. There's two answers here. One is, it, if it says fixed price contract, it should be fixed price contracts, and we all know what that means. 
it means that it could not be fixed price contracts in, in the news, as we know. Um, it comes down to a personal uh, uh, discussion between the builder and the client. If if the builder feels like he can't deliver the project, he'll negotiate for a bit more money. That could occur. It's happened to us several times with our builders in Gold Coast. Um, but it's a case-by-case basis. Not all builders are like this. Some of them do need it and they ask for it and they'll get it. Otherwise, otherwise they'll walk away. A lot of other builders who are reputable, they are sticking firm to the, the quote. So I've given you a very mixed answer, Matt. Yep. I can't really answer. It's a hard question to answer. We've changed for different people yep. in different areas. That's all I want to say, yeah. Um, and next question, is there any additional costs outside of the management fees? Um, that would be the provider fees, council rates, and normal rental property costs. No, there's no no other hidden costs. The um, the rates, water rates, council rates, um, defects and repairs, um, management costs of the provider. No, there's there's not much more. The only thing uh, that would be potentially is an interest interest costs, but that would be in the finance yeah, side that's of things. The cost of mortgage, which is which is part of everyone's you know obligation to pay the mortgage. I guess yeah. Mm-hmm. Excellent. No worries. So, in terms of um, the properties themselves, who manages the property, and what are the estimated management costs? Management costs. The management of the SDA property always comes back to the SDA provider, not the SIL provider, the care provider who's on site looking after the care work, support work. So, the the SDA provider will charge their procurement fee, usually, to find the participants, and then the ongoing management fee. Now, this fee may range from 10% per year to 15% per year, plus GST. We are aware of other groups in Australia who have charged up to 20% or more, plus GST. Um, But they're few, but they're out there, yes. And um, in terms of costs for repairs, who is in charge of the costs for repairs to the property in the case of an accident or damages made by... The residents. I have three answers here, and I don't know which one's correct, Matthew. Yeah, they're all correct. Combination of all three. Number one, if it is severe damages, you're going to claim it's the responsibility of the landlord to claim the insurance costs under excess of the policy and get it repaired. That's my first answer. My second answer is well, if it's a small little damage or defect, a couple hundred bucks, you might as well just. Go hire a handyman for three, four hundred bucks and get it done. It's all out of the way, you know, because the longer you leave it as a defective, defective house, it just causes more issues with the tenant, and it's the obligation of the landlord to fix it up straight away. I guess so. That's my number two answer. My number three answer, and and I've heard it several times, and I, I just I I can't clarify this, but I think that this is this is a plausible answer, and that is if it is under the um. If the if the providers are under their insurance policy to ensure that the house is well maintained and cared for, and damage that does occur on their under their supervision with the participant, uh, there is there's 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 room for claim by the uh, care organisation to claim for damages on the insurance policy as well. Now I've heard that from another investor who said that is definitely accurate. But that's just from one person. I haven't clarified this at all, and 
you know, you would be a case by case basis yeah, as well. Right now, I don't know the answer to your question you've asked, other than they're the three answers I've heard around in the community regarding damages and defects. Yeah, uh, a fourth answer is Matt. A fourth answer, which I've heard from another provider, and that is, and this, this was a a robust home damage. Um, if it is part of the the participant's disability that caused the damage. And it was witnessed by the care provider, the support worker, on their rostered day at work. Then they can claim for damages against the NDIA as well. So there's my five answers. Okay, choose your own adventure, which one you want. <laughs> um, okay, so going forward, I, I um, we received a number of inquiries to Debbie, uh, who's not on this podcast. Um, but yeah, uh, so do you want to maybe ask these questions? Yeah, sure. So these are seven questions which someone had asked Debbie via an email, and I think it's great to to bring them to light in this podcast. The first question that uh, they asked Debbie was, what bond is collected when there are multiple tenants in the dwelling and what organizations hold on to the RTA? Or onto it, sorry. RTA meaning Residential Tenancy Act. So the answer to that is um, the rental agreements are held individually with each tenant and um, they're regular RTA bond agreements. Cool. Uh, second question is, does the provider, SDA provider, have a rental agreement with us, the investor, or what is it? what is in place in its stead? The SDA provider um, has a lease agreement with you as an owner. And they are in turn, they in turn have lease agreements with the tenants. So some SDA providers act as a rental property manager. Others engage a separate real estate property manager to hold the RTA leases with the clients. Cool. Number three, what rent will we be paid, the, we the investor, if there are no tenants in the dwelling? Um, and I hate to say it, but if there are no tenants, you will receive no income as the funding follows the participants, not the property. However, the second answer to this question, Matt, is if there are tenants in the house and someone moves, breaks their lease and moves out with 90 days notice, there is? 90 days of payments that will be continue going to you as the owner. From the NDIS, only for 90 days, but not the RRC. Yeah, so a reduced payment, slightly reduced payment, yeah. but yes, over the next 90 days. Cool. Um, here is, oh, question four. What rent is paid if not all of the rooms are rented out? Do we as investor get compensation for the vacant rooms? Okay, so the answer to this question, you, you will receive only the rent, SDA funding, plus the recommended rental contribution, or RRC, uh, for each tenant in place. So there's no compensation for empty rooms. The only time there is compensation is if an SDA-funded tenant moves out, as we mentioned before, the NDIA will pay for three months of the tenant's funding amount to compensate you for finding the replacement tenant. There is, I, I think there's a something else to consider on this point as well, is that there are diminishing return factors. So if you did have a room that was empty, it would mean that you had fewer participants, so you would get more per participant. Mm. Uh, so that's it's kind of an indirect answer to this question, but um, yeah, for the most part, um, 
yeah, you would not be paid for rooms which are empty. When you say more per participant, it was diminished. Are you saying? Are you saying um, on a per participant okay. basis as as a compensating factor? Yeah. So, for example, again, round numbers only. If we had if we had three participants in the house, it would be thirty, thirty, thirty. If one goes, then it becomes maybe forty, forty. Is that something? Yes, correct. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Cool. The next question is: What rent is paid if there is a carer residing in the dwelling as well? Um, so the SDA funding is a little higher for an OA in the property. Um, there's no other rent paid. Um, so again, if you look at the calculations, um, it should show show that. But um, there's no payment paid for the OA. The OA uh, or the carer is employed by the provider through the SIL. Um, so no, no. Um, the only yeah the only factor as I just said is that the SDA funding and this can be seen in the income calculator is slightly higher if there's no OA in the property. Gotcha. Next question: What is the length of the normal lease agreement with the SDA provider? Um, so they can vary, um, as we mentioned before, that not all providers are the same. Normally, uh, you're looking at for well, the twenty years, you're looking at five, five by five by five by five, four fives. Um, five-year leases or a 10-year lease and then a 10-year lease for those 20 years. So that would obviously be negotiated between you and the SDA provider. I want to go off track here, Matt. This is about those um, head leases because um, Debbie in our office has been working on uh, inquiries from other clients who want head leases, guaranteed leases, and all that kind of stuff. So there was a provider in Sydney and Melbourne who were offering head leases. When we looked at the terms and conditions more closely, the head lease was subject to tenancy. So it was like, um, we'll pay you 70 grand a year gross income per year, um, but you got to pay their own rates and your insurance. So it really becomes like 62 grand or 63 grand, only if there's tenants. Yeah, so it's just it was weird. So, which is which is almost different from a normal lease anyway, because a normal lease is you get your ninety to one hundred and thirty, one hundred forty grand rent if there's tenants right coming through. Yep. So in this case, we have a seventy grand head lease. It's a head lease in it. It's a head lease, but not for the reasons you want the head lease. Yes, I suppose. Yes. So a little bit off track there, but be careful with terms and conditions. They always, these guys out there, they always put these little terms and conditions in there just to catch you out. But yeah, we'll never know unless you see the terms and conditions. Moving on, our final question. If the property becomes vacant due to an oversupply of NDIS housing or SDA housing in the area, what duration before we can list a property with a standard real estate agent and let it outside of the NDIS housing program? Yeah, so this is a question that we get a fair bit. Um, people think that it's kind of locked in as such, but there's no wait time to rent out a property on the open market. To avoid your property becoming vacant, if an oversupply of housing comes up in the area, we do, however, recommend building above minimum standards or future-proofing the dwelling to ensure that the property is more desirable than others, relative to others, I suppose. Um, as we mentioned before, the funding follows the participants, so it's important to build your property with participants in mind. So many of these participants will find it extremely difficult and stress and stressful to move homes. So as far as they're concerned, this is their forever home. Um, however, as as I just mentioned, 
making the property more desirable um, should be should be something that you're working towards. Um, and unless the, the property does not provide them with adequate independence and comfort, um, they'll be likely to stay put and an oversupply in the area won't be a problem as you already have tenants in place. So there's kind of, I guess, two answers to that question, I suppose, is that um, you know people, people tend to stay where they are for the most part, um, particularly uh, NDIS participants, just because it's even more difficult for them to move. Um, however, uh, it shouldn't. It, it it should always be thought of, and you should always build and plan your SDA home in the direction of making it future proof. I want to emphasize what Matt just said there. I want you, I, I want our listeners to to absorb those exact words. Why would you think a house becomes vacant? There's got to be a reason, right, man? There's a reason. Yep. Just because there are. You know, another fifteen houses being built next door doesn't mean that's a reason. I mean, in theory, it could be, but no one's going to upend their life in a house unless they really, really see a need to do so. And the reason why they move out is because of a personality clashes. One, two, the house is very average, and it doesn't have any other additional things that the other new houses down the road nearby could have. Future proof, by the way. Um, so, you know, we're all, we're all smart enough to know what's minimum standards. You know, you walk into a brand new house as, as a normal house and you know what is normal. You know what you expect. That's a very up-spec house, right? Now put yourself in a participant's shoes. You bring them into an NDA's house. You'll know if it's normal or it's really high-end, you know, future-proofed, um, upgrades everywhere and everything else. So. If you end up with a house that's empty, don't, don't. Uh, what's the word? I don't, I don't want to be harsh, Matt. Yep. But don't be surprised as to why it is empty. Because it was either designed wrong. It was yes, there are could could be too many houses in the area. I was applied. Yes, true. But if you build the right product, which is future proofed in an area of demand, you will never ever get it empty. Yep. Yep. Agreed, Matt. I completely agree. Yep. So, so if it does get empty, there's a reason why it became empty. There's a reason. And I would just like to also uh, talk about. Uh, we have a lot of podcasts where we talk about things from participants' perspective. And as an investor, most investors will be will look at either the bottom line or they'll look at their own uh, potential to purchase. And those are obviously important things and dictate you know your budget for purchasing an NDIS property, but um, yeah, the participant factor cannot be cannot be overstated in terms of you know that yeah the funding follows the participant. Yes, Matt. Any final words of advice before we finish our our wonderful episode here of answering people's questions? Uh, no words of advice as such, but um, we love receiving questions like this and we love answering them. So keep- do you really? Always. Yeah. <laughs> so keep keep sending them to us, and we'll we'll probably it's likely we'll do another episode similar to this yeah. where we answer some of the more niche questions. I suppose I'm going to ask Debbie to put these questions onto the website as well, just to they're on our FAQs section. So a, a, any other other um, curveball questions that come in, we'll definitely have them published on our website as well. Um, if you if if you have any. Unique questions you want us to talk about, please send them through to Erin, Erin at participants.com.au. It's on our 
uh, episode description, and we'll happily create a podcast just for our listeners uh, whenever the time comes available. For now, Matt, thank you very much for coming in. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please make sure you are subscribed and following us so you can keep in the loop with all of our upcoming episodes. We would really appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star rating, a written review, and to share this podcast with those that could benefit. Until next time, catch you on the next episode.